It is Monday, February 26th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, we talk about outer space and the upcoming eclipse. There's no class, there's no, I won't be at the lab, I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> I'll tell the student, don't bother. It's, it's a full solar eclipse. Go enjoy it. Go do whatever you have to do to see it. Plus, the upside of being a TV news anchor. What I love most about anchoring is I have a chance to not just write my own scripts, but to get in other people's scripts and, and work with with their writing and their points of view and their perspectives. And Johnny Cash at San Quentin. San Quentin and Folsom Prison and the Starkville, Mississippi jail. And the El Paso jail. And, uh, you wouldn't believe it. One night I got in jail in Starkville, Mississippi for picking flowers. All that after the news from NPR. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to explore nature's wonders at their exhibition, Exquisite Creatures, opening March 16th. The exhibit will showcase the colorful animals, plants, and minerals found in nature. Tickets and information at crystalbridges.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, February 26th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later on our show, we talk about the people who bring us the news. Did you know that there is another kind of broadcast news besides radio? Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History joins Kyle Kellams later this hour to discuss TV news anchors. First today... We are just 42 days from the solar eclipse that will make its way across a wide swath of the state of Arkansas. And when you think about outer space and NASA, there are probably other parts of the U.S. that come to mind. Maybe the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, or the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. But believe it or not, the University of Arkansas is touted as having a peerless University Lab. Vincent Chevalier is the director of the Arkansas Center for Space and Planetary Sciences, and he says one reason it's peerless is the fact that it's a multidisciplinary program. You know, like making a, a recipe for a cake, I'm going to take the, the biology flower somewhere, the geology eggs somewhere else, and, and combine that in ways that allow me to understand the the cake that I'm looking at. <laughs> it's notable that Vincent's research is not in astronomy. His academic research is in chemistry, but he says he's been interested in outer space since he was a kid. I was around eight years old. My father is an avid reader. And when I was a kid, I remember he had a whole collection of astronomy books. That was a few years after the Viking missions landed on Mars. That was uh, still in the middle of the Voyager travel through the solar system to explore all the giant planets in the outer solar system. I was not particularly, you know, into like stars or galaxies or black holes. Although I found them like, you know, like any normal person in a way fascinating. But I found the planets really. And, you know, of course, like the positive the possibility of life on other planets, really fascinating. He went on to study the surface of planets from a geology perspective. Eventually, he made his way to the University of Arkansas as a postdoc student to begin working at the Center for Space and Planetary Sciences. 
The work of outer space is about more than just putting on a spacesuit and walking on the moon. Vincent says that the subfields within planetary sciences are so intertwined that it's almost necessary to have an education in a litany of scientific fields. So, for example, um, if you take um, Titan, the biggest moon of Saturn, and we know there are lakes on Titan, so you could approach that studying the lakes um, from the perspective of geography, geomorphology, where are the lakes situated, how do they connect with rivers, um, and then you could uh, connect that from geology, what are the rocks, it's not really rocks, water ice and other ices around, but what they, how are they shaped, uh, what are the dynamical processes that constrain their formation. And then when you start to look into lakes, then you realize, oh, wait, those are not made of water. Those are, because it's so cold, they're made of liquid methane and liquid ethane. So liquids we are not really familiar with unless you're in the industry, like you're carrying like giant gas container of methane. Well, then you're custom to that, but now, you're, now that's connecting to engineering. You also have more theoretical studies of the sciences. Dan Kenefick is a professor of physics at the U of A who also works as part of the Center for Space and Planetary Sciences. And yes, we have another professor who is not an astronomer talking about outer space, but we can make a bit of an exception for Dan. My wife is an astronomer who is an alumnus of the U of A, and she uh, felt the call of home. So Dan and his wife, Julia, moved to Fayetteville in the early 2000s and both came on as professors. Early on in their time at the university, though, Julia said to Dan, There aren't that many other astronomers here. Uh, We're building up our astronomy program and we've hired two more since that time. But nevertheless, at the time, it was a small part of the physics department. And she said, in order to take best advantage of what we have, we really ought to collaborate because it is easy to end up using the specialist skills that you have moving in different directions from the people that you're near to. Uh, So I'm a theorist, she's an observationalist, but she realized that we were indirectly both interested in supermassive black holes, these gigantic things at the centers of galaxies. I wanted to know what kind of gravitational waves they are sending our way that we hope to one day uh, actually detect. And then last year, one of my students was involved in actually detecting, very exciting, obviously, as she was interested in the fact that these black holes, when they're swallowing stars, they emit a huge amount of light. They, they're called quasars, and she was studying those. But it's the same object that's responsible for both things. And she said, why don't we look at those? And she pointed out that there is an interest in uh, what's called... Um, black hole demography or or the, you know, basically it's like doing the census. You go to each galaxy and you say, how many black holes do you have? What's the size of your black hole? That kind of thing. And we got involved in that and that proved to be attractive to our students. Uh, a number of the students that we have working in various places across the United States have been working in that particular line of work, which is not either strictly the gravitational physics or strictly the astronomy, but kind of a merger of the two. Over half of the graduates from these master's and doctoral programs have gone on to work for NASA, NASA-related research facilities, or private companies who have contracts with NASA. Now, it might seem like having no physical presence of NASA near the program might be detrimental, but Vincent says the opposite is true. I talked to plenty of people, and um, they, they told me that, for example, uh, they could only work on funded projects. And sometimes you you can almost see like um, 
like on, on a mission or an instrument, you have a flourish of paper and suddenly it, nothing after that. From, from the group who literally designed the instrument. And I asked them sometimes, why, why was that? And they said, well, because we ran out of funding, so we had to stop. I don't have to. I have my funding, which allows me, you know, to uh, hire students, postdocs, technicians, purchase uh, supplies, purchase gas, purchase chambers, instruments. But I'm not tied to having to work on one of funded topics or unfunded. I'm free to explore whatever I want. Doing whatever research they want also allows them to be hyper-specific in their research as well. Dan says one way they have done that is through the acquisition of some older equipment from a NASA center. Had an old vacuum chamber called the Andromeda chamber that they just didn't really want anymore. And uh, they said, you know, more or less, I guess, they said free to good home. And they said, you know what, we'll, we'll take it. And now... And then they looked around and they said, you know, many of the people who are out there are not doing a lot of work simulating planetary surfaces uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but certainly you would need a vacuum chamber for that because many of the other planets like Mars have very little in the way of an atmosphere. So you can't just do the experiment out in the open and here on the Earth. You have to do it in a vacuum chamber and you have to prepare the chamber. You have to put things in which are similar to what you would have on Mars, and then you can run certain experiments to see how water would flow across that. That would potentially enable uh, a NASA robot on Mars or a, a spaceship overhead to take pictures, compare that to that, and say, wow, that does look quite like the way water ran in the simulation in the chamber in Arkansas. And that's how we got that chamber, and that's how I came also to be the postdoc working on that, on that chamber as well. And we still have that chamber, but it doesn't do Mars anymore. No, it does Titan. Mm. It's, the, it's become the Titan chamber. It's hard to talk about outer space in Arkansas this year without talking about the upcoming solar eclipse. Dan points out that the fact that Earth can experience a total solar eclipse is, to put it lightly, rare. We're very fortunate here on the Earth, uh, just to compare ourselves not only as Arkansans to the rest of America or the world, but now as inhabitants of the planet Earth compared to the rest of the solar system. It is a very remarkable coincidence that although our moon is tiny compared to the sun, it is at just the right position so that its apparent size in the sky is exactly the same as that of the sun. And so it covers the sun, but just so, so that we see the beautiful corona, the solar atmosphere displayed around the sun. And no other planet has this. Uh, there's no, no other, other planet has eclipses? Uh, not total eclipses, not total solar eclipses. They have eclipses. And what's now remarkable, and this is another amazing human achievement, our little rovers on Mars have actually taken a video of an eclipse on Mars. But the little moons of Mars are too small to cover the sun. So it's a cool thing, but it's not the same. Dan says this will be his third time trying to see a solar eclipse with his wife. First time we were clouded out. Uh, and Can you explain what that means? So that means it was just heavy cloud cover so that you couldn't really see the sun. Uh, but it still was quite dramatic because, of course, it still gets dark. It still gets noticeably colder. Um, so we certainly were glad that we went, but we were very keen to try again. And so we were lucky enough to see it in 2017. And it was funny because uh, one of my children uh, was kind of saying, well, why are we going to see it? We can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and uh, even she admitted afterwards that it was kind of worth being there. 
Vincent says he'll be in Russellville and has no intention of doing work on April 8th. There's no class. There's no, I won't be at the lab. I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm in a situation where I can, I can afford that. So I will. I mean, I'll tell the student, don't bother. It's, it's a full solar eclipse. Go enjoy it. Go do whatever you have to do to see it. You can find a graphic plotting the trajectory of the total solar eclipse on our website. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. In today's second half hour, when Johnny Cash went to San Quentin. I tell you what, the show is being recorded and televised for England. They said, uh, you got to do this song, you got to do that song, you know, you got to stand like this or act like this. I just don't get it, man. You know, I'm here, I'm here to do what you want me to and what I want to do. Right? Okay. Johnny Cash performed a legendary concert in an unusual venue, and this week's edition of Arkansas Songs tells the story. That's later on today's Ozarks at Large. This month's Short Talks from the Hill features William Schreckheis, professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Arkansas. Schreckheis's research addresses American politics, public policy, law, administrative law, and public administration. In the podcast, he discusses a recent study on civility, gridlock, polarization, and productivity in state legislators. While he suspected there was a link, Schreckheis and his co-authors, including U of A colleague Eric Button, were surprised by the strength of the link. Even when you take into account the extent of party polarization, the population size of the state, the competitiveness of the political parties, all these other things, the degree to which the state lobbyists rate the legislature as being civil is the best predictor of how many bills that legislature passed and whether or not they passed that budget on time and whether or not they passed some kind of important legislation. You can listen to Shrek Heiss wherever you get your podcasts or by going to arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas. You can also find Short Talks from the Hill online at kuaf.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Congressman French Hill of Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District says he reassured Ukrainian officials that Congress will continue to support the country in its war against Russia. He spoke with Arkansas PBS this weekend about his recent trip to Ukraine. There have been issues passing legislation to provide funding to Ukraine by the Republican-controlled House, but Congressman Hill says the concerns from his colleagues are being addressed. The money that we're spending is fully audited and vetted by inspectors general resident in Ukraine from the State Department, USAID, and the Pentagon. The 82nd Airborne and the 10th Mountain Division review every piece of military equipment and inventory it and catalog it before it goes to the country. So we are sharing the burden with Europe. We are auditing and inspecting everything that's going in. The money is not being wasted. Hill also says the U.S.'s support for Ukraine is paying off, as Ukraine has regained 50% of the land controlled last year. 
A report from the Department of Defense in November shows that Arkansas's $1.6 billion in contracts is the highest per capita recipient of money related to the nation's support for Ukraine's war effort. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences is honoring Reed Greenwood and his late wife, Marianne, by dedicating an office in their honor at the UAMS NWA Regional Campus in Fayetteville. According to a UAMS news release, the Marianne and Reed Greenwood Office of the Vice Chancellor recognizes the couple's dedication to improving health care access in northwest Arkansas, their advocacy for the UAMS Regional Campus in Fayetteville, and their philanthropic contributions to UAMS initiatives. UAMS Chancellor Cam Peterson says the naming of the office serves as a fitting tribute to their vision and dedication, providing a lasting reminder of the Greenwood's commitment to their community. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. That is the voice. <laughs> well, one of those voices, Will Ferrell as... Um, Ron Burgundy. That's right. One of my favorite movies, Anchorman. And the reason, oh, first, Randy Dixon, who is one of my favorite voices, uh, is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We go through Arkansas history uh, once a week with archives from the Pryor Center. All right, so... So we're going to talk about anchors. Right. Specifically anchor men this week. And then next week... Anchor women, female anchors. But um, funny story, uh, Anchorman came out in 2004. Okay. And I was news director at KTV at the time, and I wanted to do something different for the newsroom. So the Friday it came out, the premiere of it in Little Rock... I rented out a screen at one of the local theaters, and we had a midnight showing that Friday night, and the entire newsroom showed up. Yeah, they kept the concession stand open. We even brought in a little beer and wine. A newsroom doing that. Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. But it's one of my favorite movies. Yes, yes. But let's get serious. Okay. This is about the news. Right. And the newsmen. Yes. And so I've picked three that have been friends of mine over the years that I've been in TV and or was in TV. And the first person we're going to talk about is Craig Cannon from the Northwest Arkansas market. Long, long time on 4029. Yes. The The ABC affiliate here. So I knew him because KETV, the ABC affiliate in Little Rock, Especially during election season, on election night, we would combine efforts mm-hmm. with uh, KHBS. And KAIT, KAIT in Jonesboro, In Jonesboro, right? yeah. yes. And so we would combine all of our anchors, and we would cover the entire state. And so I worked with Craig a lot whenever we would do uh, debates. Uh, he was one of the, the panelists, mm-hmm. and so he and I got to be good friends. Well, he retired three years ago and so i wanted to uh chat with him for a little while and well first let's hear a little clip from 1991 and uh here's craig doing a news story the state of oklahoma apparently isn't satisfied with fighting just fayetteville over the dumping of treated waste into the illinois river oklahoma officials have now set their sights 
on Prairie Grove. At a hearing yesterday in Little Rock, a spokesman with the Oklahoma Scenic River Commission opposed a proposed discharge permit. Arkansas officials say Prairie Grove's affluent has never been an environmental problem there. If you lived in northwest Arkansas for a quarter century or more, you knew who Craig Cannon was. That's right. Yeah. He was here almost his entire career. Yeah. Uh, he worked for a little while in Tulsa and uh, was a weekend person, I believe, and got the chance to come here as a man. He was even news director for a while. Mm -hmm. And as the market grew, you just can't do that. Right. You can't anchor and be the news director. But uh, you, you see what anchors do on the air. Mm -hmm. Generally, they're pretty good looking. And they've got a good voice, right. as you could hear from Craig there. But, um, you know, what, what do they do when they're not on the air? What is, what is their role in the newsroom? And that's what I asked Craig about. But they expected the anchors to work with the executive producer and be a, be a tight team, you know, a tight leadership team for the newsroom. Mm -hmm. And um, be a good example and, and then help out, help young reporters who – as you know, in our markets, we hire young kids out of college uh, a lot of times. They're, they're excellent young candidates, but we, you know, all of us have to grow in our careers, whatever that might be. And uh, with experience comes knowledge. And, and so we would help wherever we could. And um, they expected that for sure. And so that's Craig Cannon from just this past week. Right. Talking to you, yeah. Right, and he's enjoying retirement and planning trips and doing all kinds of things. But um, I also wanted to talk to him how about how local newsrooms have changed. They have so many more, like I said, a, a, just a, amazing ability to do the job. They've got a Washington bureau, and they've got this bureau and that bureau. Um of course, all the all the ownership groups, you know, they they make sure that that's available to the local stations. But I, I don't know, Randy. In some ways, you know, some of our political divisions in the country, I think, it has seeped into some of our newsrooms. It seems, and it just mm -hmm. depends on which news newscaster watching. You think, yeah, well, that's that's one side of the story they just said, but did they not mention the other side? <laughs> so. I think there's a little bit of that, that that bothers me sometimes nowadays. And that's Craig Cannon, who was a, a, a news anchor in northwest Arkansas for a substantial amount of time, all right. at the same station. And Re retired about three years ago. Yeah, and, you, and, and that conversation was something you had with him just recently. All right, so let's move to another anchor in Little Rock. Okay. It's Chris May, and he's actually been to KTV Channel 7, left and come back. So... Before we go into this, let's listen to a clip from Chris May from 1998 when he was at KTV the first time. It has been one week, and for residents of Jonesboro, it's time to look back. In two hours, the service for hope and healing will begin on the campus of Arkansas State University. Thousands will gather for the community-wide service. It's in response to the shootings at Westside Middle School that claimed five lives and left several others injured. Norris Dejan is now live at the Convocation Center where the event will be held. And Norris, uh, explain the purpose once again. But that's Chris May, and he's back. Yes. He went to Boston, Philadelphia, wanted to come back home, hmm. uh, wanted to bring the family back. He has family here. His wife has family here. And so uh, they've made their home again here, and they're very happy. 
But Chris started in the 90s mm-hmm. as a reporter pretty much straight out of school. He went to Arizona, Arizona State, and uh, had very good credentials, grades, and uh, was a, a Little Rock native. And um, he and I worked together a lot. I was executive producer at the time, so as a reporter, he and I traveled extensively. And we've heard him before on some of these archives. Exactly, exactly. And uh, then he became an anchor uh, at a very young age and then moved and came back, of course. But, um, you know, I talked to him about what it takes to be a good anchor. I think the key to being a good anchor is being a good reporter, really, and having an interest in a really broad range of subject matter, you know, being willing to kind of invest yourself in what is news. Uh, What I love most about anchoring is I have a chance to not just write my own scripts, but to get in other people's scripts and, and work with, with their writing and their points of view and their perspectives. He must enjoy it. He's been doing it for some time. Yeah, and, you know, the way he described um, his role as as an anchor of of, uh, what he considered a good anchor, you know, it varies Mm -hmm. from station to station and person to person. City to city. Yeah, he's very hands-on. Some aren't. You know, it just sort of depends uh, on on where you are. But... um, you know, I wanted to ask him how he saw things change, seeing that he's still in it, but has been around. We we added up, and he's we had known each other 30 years last week. Wow. Here he is about changes in a newsroom. The foundational things that we do in this business have not changed. You know, we're all about finding interesting stories, telling them in a compelling way, doing so accurately and fairly and with context. Um, those things, those basics are now what they always have been. And, you know, we we continue to hold ourselves, I think, to high standards. Just about everything else when it comes to broadcast journalism has changed dramatically. I think one of the big things that we have seen happen in the last 10 to 15 years is a lot of people who would have made tremendous broadcast journalists have chosen not to go into broadcasting because they've chosen to chart their own path and deliver news and information to people in any one of a number of different ways that are now available to people, whether it's starting a YouTube channel or, or opening up a TikTok account. You know, a lot of people have been able to leverage those platforms to build their own audience and to build their own brand without necessarily having to get on board with a, a corporate media structure. I think his bottom line was you still have to be responsible. There's right. a responsibility there. And it reminded me of a quote from Edward R. Murrow. And it went something like, just because your voice can be heard, and I think he said halfway around the world back in his day, but right. I mean now anywhere in the world – doesn't mean you're any wiser than when your voice could only be heard across the bar. Right. right. So, I mean, you have to be careful, just like anything on the Internet, of where you're getting your information. Mm -hmm. I mean, any Yahoo can have a page and say they're a journalist, but there's – 
you know, you, you've got to check your source and make sure it's reliable and there are checks and balances and they actually represent, uh, right. you know, a legitimate organization and they aren't just sitting up at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> creating ranting right. uh, drunkenness. <laughs> Let's move on to one more anchor okay. that I talked to who I've known. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we we talked last week. Well, and I'm going to stop you there. I think all of Arkansas feels like they know him. Yes. Because he's, he's been in both commercial and non-commercial roles for a long time. And we're talking about Steve Barnes. Right. I've known him for 45 years when I started at the station at a very young age. Yes, yes. Uh, Steve was the main anchor. And, you know, he has been through, he's now on PBS, mm-hmm. and he's going to kill me for saying this, but I would say he's considered the godfather of journalism in Arkansas, mm-hmm. both broadcast and print. So let's hear a little clip from Steve, mm-hmm. and he's on the KETV set in 1981. Unemployment figures for March were released today, and they aren't good. The United States now has its highest level of unemployment since World War II. For Arkansas, though, the news was a little better. Larry Foley with details. Did you notice the yeah. reporter? Yeah. Larry Foley. Yes. We know him. We do. Uh, until last year, was chair of the journalism department here, still a professor. Right. And coming out with a documentary here soon yep. in a few months, Cries from the Cotton Field. Yeah. So you'll be hearing about that. I'm sure you'll do I hope he'll come something here. on. And it's uh, going to show uh, up here and in Little Rock, various places, Tiny Town and yeah. all over the state. So be watching for that. Yes. Yeah, but back to Steve, you know, he's bounced between uh, print and broadcast journalism. I met him when I first started at the station at the ripe old age of 19, Mm -hmm. and he was the main anchor. And he had a I don't know if he still does, but he had a syndicated newspaper column that was in weeklies all over the state. Yes. And. You know, he started his career wanting to be a newspaper, and I sort of got the impression that TV was almost an afterthought. But here's what he told me about how he got his start. You know, I wanted a job in journalism, so there was nothing at the Gazette right then, nothing at the Democrat when I was looking, the old Arkansas Democrat when I was looking, and even the North Little Rock Times, the week it was a very prestigious weekly. It had no... Uh, openings at the time, so I just kind of wandered over to the television stations, and uh, Charles Kelly at Channel 11, the CBS affiliate, offered me a weekend job, and soon enough, that grew into full-time. And I, you know, I spent the next several, couple of three decades in, almost exclusively in in uh, in broadcast. I would do a little work on the side for the wire services, AT and UPI. You prefer that? Well, they're two different. We're in the same canoe, I like to say. But you know, you're at the different end of the canoe when you're in print or now cyber or on wire service. Uh, obviously, you can write longer. Uh, you can go into more depth, and you don't have to necessarily comb your hair before you do an interview. That always kind of bugged you, didn't it? <laughs> Well, I did, you know, I was felt a little self-conscious about, uh, I've never been confused with Cary Grant or Brad Pitt or George Clooney, you know, and I always thought the makeup was a little 
on me anyway was kind of a waste of time. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it was a theatrical necessity, I guess you'd call it. And I'll tell you the truth, I kind of think he has a love hate relationship with broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he prefers print. Um, you know, as he said, it can be more in depth. You can right. you can tell a story better and. You don't have to comb your hair, put on makeup, <laughs> right? Uh, to to write a, a really great uh, article, right? But you know, there's the realities of of life and business. But um, I ask him about all the technologies in television, and whether it may have helped or hurt the final news product. Well, I think the quality of broadcast journalism always depends on the quality of the people who are working in it. I'm not sure that uh, the technology at the at the end of the day, I'm not sure that the technology really matters. There's the temptation to to certainly the technology will allow you to get it first. It doesn't necessarily mean you get it right. As a preview, I did ask Steve Barnes about his recollections, because he started in the early 70s, and he remembers when women first started, when there were women in the newsroom, but they were researchers right. and, uh, you know, secretaries, that sort of thing. And uh, he actually um, welcomed the first ever main female co-anchor, Amy Oliver, Oh, yeah. uh, into uh, the market. She was the first in Arkansas. But uh, here's Steve. Uh, I know a couple of instances where uh, the harassment was uh, was just overt. And I think uh, by today's standards, some of the women who were the targets of that harassment, they would own a piece of that station now. So, yeah, it was tough. And I talked to Amy already. And I'm going to talk to a few others, but Amy had some stories. And by the way, Steve and Amy are married now. And both, well, they're not retired. No. But, uh, yeah, they're enjoying life. So we'll hear from Amy next week. All right. So should we have Steve Barnes close out the show? Yeah. Let's say goodnight, Steve. And that's New Scene 7 at this hour. For Paul, Chuck, Amy, and me, thank you for joining us. This has been New Scene 7 Update with Steve Barnes and Amy Oliver. Chuck Kadick is weather. Paul Yield Sports. And the rest of Arkansas's leading news team. This is Ozarks at Large. It's time for our community engagement manager, Jasper Logan, to engage Hello. us. Hello. It is our weekly segment of what's happening in northwest Arkansas or around the Ozarks. And uh, I'm excited about the few events that I've chosen all this right. week. Okay. And you found them all on the community calendar? All on the community calendar. Again, this is a great way to... Uh, keep up to date with what's going on in the area and also a great way to get the word out if you have an event coming up um, and you want to get the word out to, to folks. So All right. first thing that's happening the 25th through the 2nd, Experience Fayetteville is putting on their second annual restaurant week. Yeah, uh, Restaurants have limited time menu options and you can choose from that you can choose from as well as special giveaways. Also, you can sign up for a chance to win $500 to your favorite local restaurant. All you have to do is go to experiencefayville.com slash restaurant. Wait, you would get a $500 gift certificate to your favorite restaurant? Your favorite restaurant. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Three questions for you. All right. Okay. Uh, favorite local restaurant. Your most nostalgic Ooh. restaurant. Okay. And then a restaurant that isn't around anymore that you miss. Okay. I like it. Uh, so favorite. I mean, it, that changes from because there's so many good ones. Uh huh. Um. <laughs> ooh, favorite. Uh, I. Hmm. Boy. You know, this is, if this you is, ask me tomorrow, yeah. it'll be different. It, it's kind of what I crave. So I really like Italian food. Okay. So I really like Boca. And uh, the one that's just down here, the, the street from us. Uh, um, is that uh, Giraldi's? Giraldi's. Yep. I love it. But here it's kind of, I sometimes feel Italian food's wasted on me because I go lasagna or spaghetti almost every time. Oh, uh, you get the, the. You know, and they okay. do so many other things yeah. that are fancy. Okay. Yeah. So nostalgic. Yes. So one that's still in operation? Yep. Wes's Barbecue. Ah, that's real. I mean, having them deliver tots, a pulled pork sandwich, and a Coca-Cola. Yeah. That'll put me in a good mood every time. <laughs> and then what do I miss? Yeah, what restaurant that isn't around anymore. Boardwalk uh, Cafe, which was on Dixon Street, and Deluxe, also on Dixon Street. They both have oh, amazing- Oh, Deluxe! They had I, great cheeseburgers. I miss Deluxe. Yeah, I, yeah, that, I, yeah. I remember Deluxe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and I think, I think there are almost 80 current restaurants participating in this. Yes, yes. Uh, 80, 80 restaurants participating in this. I really this, like yeah. Woodstone Pizza, too. See? I, I, once now I start thinking now, about it, yeah. <laughs> Deluxe it, was good. I miss that yeah, restaurant. They yeah. had great fries, too. Yeah, they did. Mm. Okay. On uh, February 27th, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., uh, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute is partnering with Michael Anthony, UA Department of History instructor, to shed light on the race riot of Ketcher. Uh, the talk will include more information on the Crawford County race riot that took place in 1923. Yeah. Uh, the event will be held at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute office in Fayetteville. Uh, question. Okay. Le- what is the latest bit of black history that you've recently learned where you go, man, how did I not know this? Ooh. Um, well, okay, so I read this great book. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm blanking on the author's name right now. He was just here on campus, but it was about the Greenwood District in Tulsa. Yep. I didn't realize that, like, one of the most successful national movie theater chains yeah. came right out of there, right out of Greenwood and right out of Tulsa. Wow. Um, yeah. Mm. It's crazy how that yeah. happens. You know, I'm a big fan of Negro League baseball uh-huh. stats, and I just was reading about Double Duty Radcliffe, who okay. played uh, back in the 30s. He could pitch and hit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Uh, the last one is the uh, 2024 Indoor Triathlon is happening mm-hmm. at the Jones Center mm-hmm. uh, on March 2nd. 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., participants will have 10 minutes to swim, 20 minutes to bike, and 15 minutes to run and log as many miles as they can. Uh, participants will receive medals and T-shirts, and it costs around 40 bucks per person. I love that because it's not like from point A to point B. It's just yep. how far can you go? Yeah. It's also like I feel like sometimes it might be like I, I hear from like runners that like running on, you know, uh, treadmills are, are, are kind of difficult. So I want to see how, like, I'm curious how it would, like, staying in one space or it being indoor adds to the difficulty or not the less. And how, how long do you have to run? Uh, you have 15 minutes to run. So that's not that long. It's not that long, On a treadmill, yeah. I mean, you can, which would be, now I'm going to ask you a question. Mm. You do this indoor triathlon, where are you going to get furthest? 
in your swimming, your biking, or your running? Biking. Yeah. I think biking. Yeah. I think uh, running is hard for me, man. Like, I like, I'm more easily like, you know, that thing, that part of your brain, like when you're doing something that says, hey, your body is tired. I listen to that more often when, <laughs> when I run. run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get like, that. If I'm biking, it's like, nah, you can keep going. And probably like swimming is the least. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how. <laughs> you don't know how to swim? I do not know how to swim. Wow. Okay. So I will never do a triathlon. Okay, there you go. Unless swimming is somehow replaced with something else. What would you replace swimming with? Okay, so you've got running and biking. Yeah. What would be the, um, maybe, um, well, I don't like height, so it's not going to be hang gliding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, hopping? hopping. <laughs> I don't know. Power walking? Yeah. Driving. Driving. <laughs> there we okay. go. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's in the spirit of a triathlon, but. that That's like, yeah. I feel like that'd be like worse. Like you'd have to like see like, you know, it'd be like hours in a trip. Like, yeah. can you make it from here to Cal- California? Well, like a road rally. Yeah, like a okay, road. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in for that. I could not make it past 10 hours. Yeah. All right. So we've got triathlons. We've got a bit of black history. We've got restaurant week. Where can we find out about all of this and more? You can find all of this information and more on our community calendar, which is just KUAF.com slash community calendar. Again, if you want to know what's happening in the area, that's the place to go to. And if you have something going on that you want to get the word out about, um, it's a great place to put your event into and uh, have people hear about it. I'm going to have questions ready for you next week, whatever we're talking about. Let's go. This is Ozarks at Large. Both the Arkansas Razorback women and men claim the SEC championships in indoor track this weekend. The women are ranked number one in the nation. The men are ranked third. The conference meet was at the Randall Tyson Indoor Track Center in Fayetteville on Friday and Saturday. It's the 10th consecutive SEC title for the women, the fifth straight for the men's team. Next up, the national championships, March 8th and 9th in Boston. The number two Razorback baseball team's pitching staff set a new team record for strikeouts Friday night in Arlington, Texas, with a 5-4 win over number seven Oregon State, recording 23 strikeouts. Hagen Smith recorded 17 of those strikeouts himself. That ties the school record for an individual pitcher in one game. And that team record stood for about 24 hours because Saturday night, the pitching staff tossed 25 strikeouts in a 14-inning 2-1 loss to Oklahoma State. Arkansas finished up the weekend in Texas with a 4-3 win over Michigan yesterday afternoon. Now the Razorbacks are back in Fayetteville, hosting Grambling tomorrow night at Baum Stadium. The Razorback softball team, ranked 14th in the country, has its own pitching prowess to brag about. Robin Heron threw a perfect game Saturday at Bogle Park against Illinois State. Then yesterday, Reese Berline tossed a two-hit shutout for the Razorbacks against Texas Arlington. Razorback softball now 13-3. and Up next, they'll stay in Fayetteville and host the Woo Pig Classic at Bogle Park beginning Thursday afternoon. 
And also this weekend, the high school wrestling, swimming, and diving championships were held. Benville swept both the girls' and boys' swim and dive 6A championships Saturday. That meet in Bentonville. Then Cersei and Rogers claimed the 5A and 6A wrestling titles, respectively, while Gravit, Van Buren, and Cabot boys teams each won their respective class state championships. The wrestling state championships held at the Stevens Center in Little Rock on Saturday. Tomorrow on Ozarks, a journalist offers a bold proposition to a sitting senator for a new biography. I want all the access that I would get for a normal authorized biography, but I don't want to give up any editorial control. In other words, I want you to tell me all your secrets, but you don't get to decide what goes in the book and what goes out. I get to decide, right? (laughs) We hear from McKay Coppins, the author of Romney, A Reckoning. He'll be in Little Rock as part of the Cal's Speaker Series on Thursday. He'll be with us tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. Hi, it's Michelle Martin. Mornings can be tough. Getting your day started when you're barely awake takes effort. And while we can't brush your teeth for you, pick out a shirt, or get you or your kids, good luck with that, where you need to be, we can help you get ready with stories that help you understand the world you're about to step into while wearing that shirt. You know, that one, the one with the stripes. Ease into your day with Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, tomorrow and every weekday morning from 5 to 9. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. All right. On February 24, 1969, Arkansas' Johnny Cash performed a concert before about a thousand inmates in San Quentin Prison in California. It was the fourth time Cash had played San Quentin. The first time was January 1, 1958, in the rain, and in attendance was future country music star Merle Haggard who said he was mesmerized. i tell you what, the show is being recorded and televised for England. They said, uh, you gotta do this song, you gotta do that song, you know, you gotta stand like this or act like this. I just don't get it, man, you know? I'm here, I'm here to do what you want me to and what I wanna do, right? Okay. So what do you want to hear? All right, all right. I walked the line. close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine I walk the line The Johnny Cash at San Quentin concert featured June Carter who had been married to Cash for less than a year as well as the Statler brothers and Carl Perkins and Anita, Helen and Mother Maybell Carter Cash's longtime partner and friend Luther Perkins had died in a fire the previous year. Bob Wooten had taken over on guitar. We're sorry to say that uh, Luther passed away seven months ago after being with us for 13 years, Luther Perkins. And uh, the fellow that is playing the guitar with us now is doing a wonderful job, but of course nobody can really replace Luther. How about one big cheer for Luther Perkins?
Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison album in 1968 had reinvigorated Cash's career. It was the best-selling Johnny Cash record in years. The live version of Folsom Prison Blues, recorded in Folsom Prison, hit number one on the charts, better than the original studio version. 1969's Johnny Cash at San Quentin was an even bigger hit than Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. I tried to put myself in your place, and I believe this is the way that I would feel about San Quentin. The album Johnny Cash at San Quentin stayed number one for a month. Cash was named Country Music's Entertainer of the Year in 1969. The San Quentin album yielded another number one hit song, A Boy Named Sue. It was his biggest selling single ever. It was named the Country Music Association Single of the Year. Cash had just written the song San Quentin the day before. The prisoners liked that one so much they wanted to hear it again immediately. One more time. Here it is again, San Quentin, just for you. In 2000, more than three decades after the fact, the entire Johnny Cash at San Quentin concert was re-released. If anything, the issuance of the full concert only served to solidify Cash's already formidable musical and humanitarian reputations. Here in its entirety is Kingsland, Arkansas-born, Dias, Arkansas-raised Johnny Cash, live from his February 24, 1969 concert at San Quentin Prison with his autobiographical song, Starkville City Jail. Well, we've been in several prisons, San Quentin and Folsom Prison and the Starkville, Mississippi Jail, and the El Paso Jail. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, one night I got in jail in Starkville, Mississippi for picking flowers. I was walking down the street, you know, going to get me some cigarettes or something, about two o'clock in the morning after a show. I reached down and picked a dandelion here and a daisy there as I went along, and this car pulls up. I said, get it the hell in here, boy. What are you doing? I said, I'm just picking flowers. Well, $36 for picking flowers and a night in jail. God damn. You can't hardly win, can you? Damn. <laughs> no telling what you'd do if you'd pull an apple or something. Well, I'd like to do this song on behalf of all you guys here at San Quentin to kind of get back at whoever you want to out there. In my case, I'd like to get back at the fellow down in Starkville, Mississippi that still has my $36. Well, I left my motel room down at the Starkville Motel. The town had gone to sleep and I was feeling fairly well. I strolled along the sidewalk neath the sweet magnolia trees. I was whistling, picking flowers, swaying in the southern breeze. I found myself surrounded. One policeman said, that's him. Come along, wildflower child, don't you know that it's 2 a.m.? They're bound to get you, cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail. Well, they threw me in the car and started driving into town. I said, what the hell did I do? And he said, shut up and sit down. Well, they emptied out my pockets, took my pills and guitar picks. I said, wait, my name is all shut up. Well, I sure was in a fix. The sergeant put me in a cell, then he went home for the night. I said, come back here, you so-and-so. I ain't being treated right. Well, they're bound to get you, cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail I started pacing back and forth And now and then I'd yell 
and kick my $40 shoes against the steel door of my cell. I'd walk a while and kick a while and all night nobody came. Then I sadly remembered they didn't even take my name. At 8 a.m. they let me out. I said, give me them things of mine. They give me a sneer and a guitar pick and a yeller dandelion. They're bound to get you cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail and you go to the Starkville City Jail. Cleveland County native Johnny Cash live in San Quentin Prison from February 24th, 1969 with Starkville City Jail. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansongs since 1998. Ozarks at Large is produced in the Carver Center for Public Radio, the home of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today include Randy Dixon, Jasper Logan, and Stephen Cook. Additional help today provided by our friends at Little Rock Public Radio. Matthew produced the show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Northwest Arkansas Community College in Bentonville going to host their annual Spring Arts and Culture Festival beginning next week. It'll take place March 4th through the 8th. The first day, Monday, March 4th. I'm holding this book like you can see it. Um... Andrea Rogers, who is the author of Man-Made Monsters, will be at the Fayetteville Public Library in conversation with me as part of the gathering of the groups. It is one of those – it's short stories, Mm -hmm. horror short stories. Mm -hmm. I loved it very much. It's about the only way I can handle a a horror story is in short form. (laughs) Yes. Um, You may recall she was on our show a little bit more than a year ago when the book came out. Uh, It's one of those books that I didn't know until I finished and I was reading the blurb on the back. It's YA. Oh. I didn't think. I mean, it's... Huh. it's It didn't feel... No. That way? It's really cool. It's nice. a very good book. So that'll be uh, Monday night, a week from tonight, the Fayetteville Public Library. Go to NWAC's website. They've got a whole list of everything they're doing in Bentonville, on campus, and off campus. Have you been to NWAC's campus before? Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very conveniently located if you're trying to, to get there. It's not hard to get in and off of campus. Right off the way we – the direction uh-huh. we're going, right off I-49, left in the turn lane. There's a parking space. Yeah, we yeah. did a we did a Juneteenth there uh, a couple years ago with Undiscipline. Really, really stunning campus. All right, uh, we'll have another brand new show for you tomorrow. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well. Walton Arts Center's 10 by 10 Art Series presents Ailey Two Tuesday, February 27th at 7 p.m. From the creative vision of choreographer Alvin Ailey comes a new dance company that celebrates the African-American cultural experience and modern dance traditions. See the world-renowned revelations alongside new repertory from emerging choreographers. WaltonArtsCenter.org for tickets.